0: That is such a fun song. Good job, guys. All right, we are going to continue with our series that uh, we started last week. If you remember, we did weakness into strength. And we looked at that scripture in Hebrews. And we looked at uh, the scripture in Hebrews 11 that talks about... uh, These guys, and three of them were Gideon, Barak, and Samson. And then it mentioned Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. At the end of this long string of people who uh, were all like the heroes in the faith. But then it said, this little group, there's a a separate sentence of this little group where it says that they turned their weakness into strength. And so last week we looked at Samson. If you missed it, I'd say go back and listen to it. The the kind of the over the main lesson of Samson was like, man, we gotta listen to each other's stories. Do you remember that? Like, man, I have a lot of sympathy and compassion towards Samson, and you don't really get some of that if you just listen to like the Sunday school version or the the Veggie Tales version version. So like. There's The Bible, the real Bible story of Samson is traumatic. And a lot of stuff happened to him. And then he had to like figure it out. And he didn't do that good a job. But we, as people who are going to, as a community, when someone in our community says, hey, I want to turn my weakness into strength, we as a community got to be like, man, I know what you've been through. And I'm here for you. And then we talked about Samson's, um, his reliance on the gift his strength, instead of the giver, which was God. And it wasn't until the very end that he actually prayed to God. That's the only recording of Samson praying we have after everything. And so today we're going to look at the second guy in, that, uh, in these three that we're going to look at. We're going to look at Gideon. And we're going to look at the story of Gideon and how he turned his weakness into strength. Now Gideon also has a Sunday school version Gideon also has a VeggieTales version, and you may even be able to recall that. Uh, I think Larry the Cucumber plays Gideon in (laughs) the VeggieTales version. Um, And so, I think we we might, if you know the story, again, I'm going to say we're not going to have time to read the whole story of Gideon this morning, so I'm encouraging you again, just like I did last week, just like I'm going to do next week. Read this for your quiet times. Read this for your personal Bible study this week. But Gideon uh, takes place in a very interesting time in Israel's history, where everything would be OK until, every once in a while, every so many years, these raiding parties of foreign like bandits would come like pouring down into the country and just raid everything and just take and plunder and loot. And it was, it was just a traumatic time. It was, it was a horrible time for the people. And so one of the things that they would do is basically like, we know it's coming, so the next time this happens, we're just going to hide, basically. Hide all your valuables, because we can't stop them. They're going to come, and they're just going to go through everything. So let's like hide. And we find Gideon. We're not going to dig into this part, but we find Gideon hiding. He's kind of like, trying to lay low as there are armies kind of amassing. And he's met by an angel, and the angel greets him and calls him a mighty warrior, which is not a good example of what he was actually doing at the time. And that's a perfect encapsulation. It's a perfect example of what we're talking about. That his weakness, like God saw the strength While it was still weakness. And so God was like, you know, greetings mighty warrior. Wow, to the guy who's like hiding. And I want that to carry through because I believe that for every single one of us here. Remember last week we talked about our faults, our failures, our weaknesses, our insecurities. Like, presently, God is looking at you and he sees your potential. Like what you can be. So he sees in all of us mighty warriors, even though we might now look like the people who are hiding from trouble. But Gideon turned his weakness into strength, and we're going to look at how he did that and the plan he followed for his victory. And so I want us to know, like, hey, and I'm I'm just going to apologize if my voice starts to do crazy things. I'm a little under the weather. So if I, like, start squeaking and making all kinds of weird noises, just forgive me. But my goal is that we can understand that in our lives, usually the best things, the most important things, rarely happen by complete accident. Now, they might happen, it might seem like chance or accident to us, but I think when I look back on my life, the most important turning points in my life, I see as part of a plan that God laid out. And... And being a part of that and being there for it and not rejecting God's plan made all the difference. We don't have to be the master planner of our lives because we have to accept some surrender and we're going to see that in Gideon. But we have, to, we have to just think that there might be a plan forward for us. Like God may already have an amazing plan towards strength, towards victory for us. And I don't want us to lead you know, aimless, accidental lives. So let's get into Gideon. It's in the book of Judges, verse, uh, chapters 6 and 7. We're not going to read all both chapters, but I would, again, I would encourage you. You may, this may sound familiar. I did, I preached on Gideon when we were at the park uh, two years ago. And so this may, you might be like, hey, I, I think I've heard that before. You're probably right. And so, my first lesson, if we're, if we're trying to think about us and how we can move from weakness to strength, my first point is hardwired glory. If you remember, maybe it's ringing a bell. Hardwired glory. It might not mean anything right now, but it will when we get to that point. Let's read. Let's read in Judges chapter seven. So, so, mighty warrior, and he says, hey, you're going to put an army together, and you're going to go fight all of these people. And So this is, we're going to look at how that goes. The Lord said to Gideon, this is 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. And Before we move on, so you got an army. You have assembled an army of 32,000 men. And you're going to take on these foreign raiding parties. And you're going to go and attack them. Now, the number that they have is probably around 130,000. And we learn that a little bit. We can infer that from Judges 8. But God looks at 32,000 men and says, that's too many. I need smaller numbers. Why? And he says, he says why. He says, if you win with 30,000 men, you are going to feel like, man, we're awesome. He's like, I need to get that number down so that your response is, man, God is awesome. So this is winnowing. This is... Uh, the weeding out, number one. He says, hey, if anyone's afraid, just let him go home. And he says, hey, are any of you guys afraid? And two-thirds of them are like, I'm very afraid. <laughs> and so 22,000 men left and 10,000 stayed. And then here, let's move on. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water. And I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from the cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Now I've heard theologians and historians try to explain this. Like why, what's the tactical benefit of drinking water one way or the other? And here's, here's all I'm going to say. I don't think it matters at all. I don't think there's any advantage to drinking water with your hands or getting down and putting your face in the water. And the reason why is because God was looking at the numbers. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So you got 10,000 guys. They all go get a drink of water. And 300 of them drink in a weird way, different than the 9,700. And God's like, that's, that's the number. He didn't care how they drank, is my opinion. He didn't care how they drank. Drinking water was not going to be part of God's battle plan for defeating the Midianites. He wanted a number that was small enough so that when when they beat them, no one could say, We're so awesome. And that is what I mean by hardwired glory. If you've ever done like a business plan, or if you're, you know, we have some entrepreneurs here in the church, like if you ever put together a business plan, you might meet with some mentors, and one of the things they try to make sure is, are you, har- you hardwiring failure into your business plan? So if you were going to open up a bakery, and it costs you like 50 cents per donut to make, but you were going to sell them at a quarter, any, any business mentor would be like, that's dumb, don't do that. You're hardwiring failure into your business plan, because you're going to lose money on every donut. And you're trying to hardwire success into your business plan, right? And we can get so wrapped up in success and failure that we forget to hardwire glory into our plans. God was saying, I'm going to create a situation where there is only one possible outcome. That my name is praised. And so he hardwires glory into this battle plan. Like, man, when you win, no one's going to say you're awesome. Everyone is going to say God is awesome. And that's what we need to do when we turn our weakness into strength. Am I so concerned about success that I never think about what would bring God glory? Because there are times, whew, there are times where success looks very distant. And it looks like all hope is lost, maybe financially, in your household, maybe at work, maybe in a relationship. Success looks so far away, but are we more concerned about glory? I think in marriage, sometimes we can get really determined that we are going to win whatever conversation we are having with our spouse. Are you determined to win? When you're like, oh, we disagree on this thing. Well, you go in your corner, I'll go in my corner, I'm going to assemble my brief, I'm going to construct my argument, and then we'll come out and we will have this out and I will walk away victorious. But if winning, is your, ar- if, if winning your argument is the most important thing in your marriage, then the, the, the first thing you have to do is throw away humility. Like... You can't can't be humble and win every argument. But that's not what brings glory to God. Is God glorified by a husband who wins every single argument that he has with his wife? (laughs) Or vice versa, wives? Is God glorified when that's your attitude? Like, oh, I'm going to win. We can't win the way men win. And that's what God was trying to do with Gideon. Can't fight this thing the way men fight. So I'm going to show you a way where my name is going to be praised. Campus, (laughs) Uh, you know, last last year we went on our Mac retreat, and um, it's awesome. We have a great time. And I think I've shared this before. I try to make a joke out of it early, just to like convict some people. But it's so important that we get that time off of our job. Like, hey, tell your boss. That you need that time off so we can go to this conference. And I have been at the the MAC retreat when (laughs) campus students from other churches, no one from our church has ever done this. But other people have said like, yeah, I couldn't get it off, but you know what? I just left and came here because, you know, I got to seek first the kingdom. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, shame on you, dude. (laughs) You could have asked for that like months ago, but you didn't. And right now, back at your job that you just abandoned, are they like glorifying God? Or do they think your church is stupid? Yeah, God's name is not being glorified when you abandon your job to do something for church. Even though it's a really good reason, and I believe you. But in Psalm 20, verse 7, David writes, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And in Psalm 44, verse 3, it says, It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. So I have to to ask us, when we are trying to go go from weakness to strength, can we see, like, man, if I do that, I'm going to have to do this God's way. If I just try to, to be strong like all men are strong, I might not get the result that brings God glory. And that is a crucial element to like why these three guys are lifted up in the book of Hebrews. It wasn't just because they were the best. It was because they surrendered to God's plan for all of this. And I want that for you guys too. And so here's my, my second point. Behind the scenes. I love this. This is one of the things... I think maybe they mention it in Veggie Tales, but I, I I love this part of the story of Gideon. So now Gideon has three hundred guys, and they are going to go up against one hundred and thirty-eight thousand men. Now, is that even possible? Maybe if you've seen like the movie Three Hundred and the Battle of Thermopylae, you might be like, "Yeah, it's totally possible." This is a very different situation than that one. This is 300 guys just attacking a valley filled with people. And here's what happens. I love this part. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against to the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah. And listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Now, a a strong manly man would be like, I'm not afraid. I don't need to go down. But Gideon is like, nope, I will go down because I'm terrified. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Now, this is important before we move on. Remember, it's not just the Midianites, it's the Midianites, the Amalekites, and then like all these other people from these other eastern tribes. And so he arrives and he kind of crawls up, and I see this in my mind. He's crawling up to like the edge of this camp, and he's hearing two guys talking, and this is what they said. I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So he sneaks up because he's afraid. God's like, go and listen to what they're saying. And you will be encouraged. He sneaks up and he listens to this conversation happening. He's like, oh my gosh. God has been working behind the scenes in ways that I was completely unaware of. What was God doing? He was literally terrorizing these people with nightmares and prophetic nightmares and giving them the ability to interpret the dreams. And so Gideon sneaks up and he hears this guy saying... I had a horrible nightmare. And the other guy's like, I know what that means. That means we're going to lose. And Gideon's listening to all this like, oh my gosh. I had no idea God was doing any of this stuff. God was working behind the scenes. This is what it says. When Gideon heard the dream (coughs) and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel. And called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. What I love about this is, if you, were, if you were Gideon, and you didn't know this, and all you're looking at is the surface level, what's going on. All I know is what I can see. And that is, that I got 300, there's a valley filled with people. 138,000 guys and i have no idea how we're going to win. God at this point had not told him the battle plan yet. All he said was, "I guarantee you when you win, I'm going to get all the praise." And Gideon's like, "Man, help me help me feel that when instead of an if because it feels like we might not win." And so God's like, "I got you. Go and listen. And then God is literally working on this, like, psychological operation behind the scenes where he's, like, they're all sleep-deprived and, like, terrorized and and they all think that they're going to lose. And that fire's Gideon up. But I have to ask a question about us. If we're going to turn weakness into strength, we have to ask this. What could God be doing behind the scenes? if you just search for the word victory throughout the Bible you're going to see a lot a regular occurrence coming up which is God gave victory the Lord gave victory to this person and we're going to see that in this story the Lord gave victory to Gideon but in the moment Gideon didn't know that and very few of the guys that the Lord gave victory to felt 100% certain that the Lord was going to give them victory. But that's because they didn't know what God was doing. I think about times in my life. Well, let me tell you this story. I have a really silly picture. This is actually me in the middle there. That's me. And that's Eric, Mike, Chad, Brad, and Ron. And this is right after, like, um, like I was a baby Christian at this point. I was 23 years old, and these guys were super helpful to me. Especially these two guys in the front, Chad and Brad. You guys know Chad. Chad Taylor. Um, but Brad... He told me this later, that, that when he, like, invited me to church and asked me to study the Bible, and, like, I, I was, I acted like I had all the answers to everything in life. And he said, of all the people, he's like, man, I must have invited, because he was, he was an intern at the time, he's like, man, I must have reached out to, like, 50 people that day. And of everybody that I reached out to, you were the one I had the least faith in. He's like, this guy? No. No way. This guy's a loser. Um, and he was like, and yet, you know, those other 49 people, or however many it was, like, they didn't respond to the gospel message that was preached to them. What was it about me? And I... And I remember having this conversation with him later. I was like, well, I I know. I know. I clearly know what God was doing in my life leading up to that that week where I I met Chad, I met Brad, I came out to like my first church service. Like, I know what God was doing in my life. I was raised pretty religious, and it was great. It was a, a great spiritual foundation, but I was still wild. And then I went out to California and led a very self-destructive life. And then I moved back. Jen and I are fighting because we've stayed dating for some reason. If you've been to our house, we've probably told you some of this. I moved back because I'm like, I'm going to work on my relationship with my girlfriend. And if I come back to Michigan, then everything will be all right. I come back to Michigan and we just keep fighting. And we can't work it out. And we're, we're having a horrible time. And all the while, God is like, I mean, at the time it felt like he was like pummeling me. But he was getting me ready. He was working, like hands on, working in my life. So that when someone said, hey, how's your relationship with God? And would you like to work on that? I, it literally, I was like broken down. In the same way that God was working on the Midianites to prepare them for Gideon, God was working on me to prepare me for Brad. (laughs) But Brad didn't know that. Just like Gideon. And I'm going to tell you this. Just like you. You don't know what God is doing in the lives and the hearts of people around you. You have no idea what God is doing to prepare them for an interaction with you... And yet when we have that interaction, we stay quiet, we don't say anything, we go on our business. And it's a, it's, and it's a lack of creativity is what it is, because we're incapable of asking this question. What could God be doing behind the scenes that I know nothing about? So I would even encourage you, spend some time just thinking. Like, man, what could God be doing right now in the lives of my coworkers, in the lives of my family, in the lives of my kids that I know nothing about? But does he have a part for me in that? And if we, if we lack this creativity, we need to be honest with God about our fears, just like Gideon was. If we want a little glimpse, we have to be honest with our fears and go to God and be like, I don't think I can, I, don't, I think I'm useless. And God will be like, hey, I'll give you a taste of what I'm doing. And so I remember praying this, like, God, just... Give me, like a, give me a little like kernel, morsel of encouragement because I'm scared about this or that. And God usually comes through in amazing ways to cheer me up that way. But what could God be doing behind the scenes? All right, my last point, the battle plan. <laughs> my last point, the battle plan. I want to look at what, what God actually did. So this is, this is what's crazy. He's got 300 guys, and he's got all their stuff, and he says, now it's time to fight. And all of these guys still have no clue how it's going to go down. But this is how it goes down. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. I'm going to stop right there because this is the battle plan. This is insane. They don't have any weapons. What's in one hand? A trumpet. What's in the other hand? A jar with a torch. And then they scream a sword, but they don't have a sword, or it's on their, it's on their waist. And God's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to split up. you got 300 men. Take a, put 100 over on that hill, 100 over on this hill, 100 right here. And we're going to go down, and when, we all, when we're all coordinated, we're going to smash these jars, blow these trumpets. We're going to show the torches, and we're going to scream real loud. Now, historians, and like battle historians, think that for every like, division of, of soldiers, there would be one trumpet bearer and one torch bearer, and then a bunch of guys with sh- swords and shields. And so, how do you make 300 men look like 300,000 men? You give one guy a, a, a trumpet and a torch, and then you go at nighttime. And you surprise them all with your trumpets and your torches. And so all the Midianites are down in the valley and they hear this noise. They're all sleep deprived. They're all like psychologically tortured by God. (laughs) And they look up and they see all around them torches. And what do they hear? They're completely surrounded by trumpets. And they're trying to count. And for every light, they're thinking that's a thousand guys, that's a thousand guys, that's a thousand guys... And what does it say? A sword for the Lord and for Gideon while each man held his position. What was the battle plan? Smash your your jar, blow your trumpet, scream this thing, and then just stand there. All the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Now remember, it's not a unified army of Midianites. It's the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the eastern raiding parties. And this is what happened. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So if you're standing at the base of a hill and it's lit up with torches and you're like, that's like 100,000 men, I'm going to run this way. And then you run this way straight into someone you don't know. Because they're not... You're Midianite and they're Amalekite. Or you're, Mid- they're, you're Amalekite and they're some other party. And so what happens? You are like, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm just going to kill whatever's in front of me. And you just, Psh. And so these guys all just destroyed each other. The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Now why do, why do we say all this? Because the battle plan was the dumbest battle plan in the history of military exercises. Blow a trumpet, break a jar, yell a sword for the Lord, and then just stand there and watch as God wipes out this whole army in front of your eyes. And it would be so easy to say, Well, that's not how you win a war. I know how to win a war. And take matters into your own hands. And that is where, if we want to turn our our weakness into strength, whatever failures, whatever insecurities, whatever whatever weakness you have right now, if you want to turn that into an awesome strength, you're going to need to learn obedience. Obedience. Because like Gideon, sometimes the plan is already laid out. And I believe that God is looking down on us and he's like, I have an amazing plan for you. It's so awesome. But can you do it? We just have to obey. Something like the importance of community. I believe that that's part of our plan to strength. To really understand the importance of community, but what we do is we're like, well, that's not really working for me. I'll figure something out. This is why young people come talk to me. I'm totally open about all of this stuff. But like the latest like um, deconstruction, you know, thing that people are doing, like I'm deconstructing my faith. Like that's great. Deconstruct your faith, reconstruct your faith, but do it in community. The most dangerous thing is when you're like, I need to figure out what I believe about this. And I'm going to do it all on my own. That is a recipe for disaster. The gospel message, the plan of salvation. I don't know if the gospel really is working in this day and age. We might need to tweak it to make it more relevant. We don't need a new plan. We just need to obey the plan that God already has. The Bible refers to human plans as schemes. In James 4, now listen, you who say, tomorrow, today today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city, that city, spend a year there, carry on, make money. And then James says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And all such boasting is evil. Sometimes the plan is already laid out. We don't need to come up with a brand new plan. We just need to obey the plan that is is given to us. And then lastly, how do we know if this is the plan? That is why we need wisdom. Oh my gosh, guys, we need wisdom. There are some things I'm just going to tell you right now. There are some things that there isn't a plan laid out in the Bible for. You might be like, "Wait, what? There's a plan in the Bible for everything." There is not a chapter and verse I can give you to help you balance your kids' like soccer schedule. There's not the perfect work-life balance of like kids traveling sports leagues in the Bible. But you know what is in the Bible? Wisdom. There's no, there's no verse in the Bible explicitly to help us battle internet pornography. It's not in there, but wisdom is. And that's why we also need the Holy Spirit. John fourteen, twenty six. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so we, as we grow closer to wisdom, we start to see the plans that God has for us. And so, here's where I'm going to leave it. Sometimes we make plans when we don't need one. The plan's already there. We just need to obey the plan. And then sometimes we don't make plans when we do need them. And this is why we need each other. We need the Bible. and We need the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so, Gideon was able to turn his weaknesses into strengths. Not by sheer will and determination. It was through surrender, humility, and obedience, following God's plan. And, and we're not going to make it through life spiritually victorious if we don't also follow suit with surrender, humility, and obedience. So what is your weakness? What is your failure? What is your insecurity? And what is the plan to turn that into strength? We're going to look at one last one next week. Because we're going to look at Barak. But we need a plan. We need to stick near God's plan. The answer is found in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit that is in you. And the Holy Spirit that is in spiritual people around you. Amen? That is all I got, guys. At this time, Emily Wilhelm is going to do our communion message. Come on up, Emily.